Hey, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of Canucks Talk on Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and my co-host, Canucks insider Thomas Drance. You can read Thomas's work at The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio, Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, Supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The Canucks host the Dallas Stars tonight. Going for five wins in a row, Drancer. The Ricochet. Another test for the Ricochet against a, a pretty good Stars team that's playing well right now as well. Putting up some crooked numbers on teams recently. So the Canucks have won five in a row. No, they're going for five in a row. They're no? going for they've so they've yeah, won they've four, won in, a four in a row. They're seven two and one in their yes. last ten games. They're at home. They're facing an opponent that played last night, and is playing their fourth in six days. Right, the Canucks are relatively rested in comparison, having not logged miles on the road and having played what had an extra day off. They had extra day, two off. days between their last game. Yeah. And Vegas has the Canucks as underdogs. Slight underdogs. As underdogs, slight underdogs, period. Slight underdogs. There are degrees. It's a spectrum. Yeah, sure. You can be more or less of an underdog. What, plus two thir- two one, plus, uh, plus 130? Plus 130, plus like 130 so 2.3 if you're using the British system, mm-hmm. which I don't. <laughs> Just, I don't know if anyone cares, but I don't. I, I use the American odds. So, you know, that's notable to me, right? Because... Vegas doesn't believe in the ricochet yet. Yeah, I will say, though. They don't. Oh, hold on, though. If this was two months ago, same circumstances you laid out, the Canucks would be way bigger underdogs. Way bigger underdogs. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, I see what you're saying. They're improved. If if they're a playoff team, should they be favored to win this game? Now, I will note, Dallas is not like a fringe playoff team either, right? You know, Dallas Dallas could be the top team in in the Western Conference this year. And they're playing really well right now. So but, it's not... Vegas doesn't see them as the top team in the Western Conference. That's fair. Like, Vegas itself sees well, them as the third or... The West fourth. is an interesting beast this year because... But, but in terms of Stanley Cup odds, like, I mean, I mean, I don't have them in front of me in terms of, like, to win the conference. But last I checked, they weren't even top three, right? Like, Colorado and Vegas and Edmonton are all teams that Vegas likes more traditionally over the course of this season than Dallas. Um, let's look at it right now. Dallas third. Same odds, same odds as Vegas. So, I'm just saying, this is a little bit of a fade. Like, this is just the gambler's gambler's eye view, is if you believe that the Rick Tockett bump has made the Canucks a playoff caliber team, right? If you're positive to the point where it's like, if they play like this next year, they play with this structure, they're in the playoffs. Healthy Thatcher Demko, let's go. Then you're looking at that, you should look at those odds and be like, the Canucks should be favored tonight. In fact, you should maybe just look at those odds and say the Canucks should be favored tonight because the Dallas Stars are going to be gassed, and this has all the trappings of a of a letdown game. Mm. So my point here is about expectations, right? If we're seeing the praises of the Vancouver Canucks over the course of the past week, the new structure, the way they've played, how impressive they've been in their, their home wins to this point, then also, like, part of that is that we have to adjust our expectations 
for the team tonight. Like, we should be going into this game looking at it as an opportunity to demonstrate that, you know, the bouquets being thrown at them are earned, that this is a different team, that they should be expected to win. If this team has improved materially, that's the baseline. They should beat a tired team tonight on home ice. Well, I definitely agree that it's an opportunity for them, right? Because so much the, the two big conversations when we've talked when we're talking about is the ricochet real or not have been quality of opponent and the fact that they've trailed so much. Right now, Ottawa was a step up in both of those regards, but it's still Ottawa. They're, and they're fighting and they're not playing well. Right. Yeah, they're not playing well. They're skidding a little and, bit. They're they on the fringes of the playoff race. They couldn't break out of a paper bag. If they were a greasy hamburger. Dallas is a significant step up above that, right? Which is a team that's as I said, you know, could finish first in the Western Conference this year and is playing really, really well right now. Mm -hmm. Like, put up 10 on Buffalo not that long ago. Put up 7 on Colorado. Just beat Seattle two yeah. times and, in a row. They're and playing a, really well. And has a top line that eats the opposition for breakfast. Yeah, has, has a, a, an elite defenseman on the back end. Like, has depth up and down the lineup. You know what I mean? This is a yeah. really legit, strong Miro, team. Miro Heiskanen is so sick. He is very, very good. Yeah. Um, and you even just look at their lineup and it's like, like Radic Fasca is playing on the fourth line, like their fourth line center. Like that's pretty nice. I like Radic Fasca as, as your fourth I, line center. I like him as a fourth line. Yeah, center. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like all right, if, if that's your fourth line center option, that's not bad. You know, Mason Marchman on the third line. Like they've got guys up and down that lineup that can uh, that can do things to help their team. So it's another step up for the Canucks, is the way I look at it. And I think we're in agreement, and I think most people are in agreement that. No one is going to decide 100% one way or another on the Rick Tockett coaching effect until we see what transpires next season. But the few games they do have against really good opponents remaining on their schedule, and as we've talked about a lot, it's a lot of easy cupcake opponents as well. But this is one of the ones against a really good team. Like Those are really important opportunities. If you are trying to get not just the market, like forget about the fans, but how much how much have they talked about the players buying in? You know what I mean? And the players building that culture that they hope is going to transfer over to the next season. If you want that process to real to be real and to have meaning and to and to do something for you next season, these are big opportunities. Like doing it against a team that is primed and gearing up for a deep playoff run, that has has the potential, if you can follow it through and if you can perform, to have so much more meaning, I think, than you know, doing it against Chicago, doing it against Columbus, Anaheim, et cetera. Oh, yeah. Doing it against Arizona, although Arizona's performing about as well as the Canucks are at the moment. So, anyway, I just think we need to adjust our expectations. You know, at some point, if this is real, the Canucks need to be expected to win home games. Right? Like, go look at the teams in the playoffs and go look at their home record. Right? Like... Teams in the NHL that make the playoffs win at home. The idea of going, you know, four and one on a five game homestand, like that, that's what you kind of need to do. You know, like you need to be 19 and 12 at home. You need to be 24 and seven at home or 24 and five at home, 21 and 10. Like that's, that's what you need to do. Mm -hmm. And so if this is growth, if what we've seen is growth, and I buy it. Right, I, I buy that they're playing better hockey under Rick Tockett, particularly at five on five. If this is growth against a team you beat just two weeks ago, right? That that has every reason to lose tonight, every reason. The Canucks have every advantage. They should win. They should win, and that should be our expectation. It's not a nice surprise. They should win. This is a test of whether or not 
what we've been talking about, what this market has been trying to buy into for the last week, whether that's working or not. For me, this is like, you know, not a referendum game, but kind of a referendum game. And, and to me, it's more about the process than the result, right? Because uh, we know the inherent randomness of uh, a one-game hockey sample, right? Like, you, they could play really, really well tonight, but lose, and that still has a lot positive to say, I think, about how they're playing uh, under Rick Tockett. So I'm really curious to see how that process continues uh, against a very good Dallas Stars team tonight. Uh, we got a lot on the show today. Shana Goldman's going to join us at 1230, but uh, I want to play some Rick Tockett audio again. He talked uh, at length today, no morning skate, but met with the media earlier this morning at Rogers Arena. And there's some things that uh, we'll hear from Tockett uh, that we can uh, build on throughout the course of of the show as well. And by the way, just while we get the talking audio queued up, uh, Dalvir V texts in, I'm sorry, when did we start calling it the Ricochet? I kind of love it. Uh, we debuted it yesterday on the show, well, and, I believe. And now that and we're going to make it a thing, it, I need to find the sure. person to credit. But so, yeah. So credit pending to somebody on uh, on Twitter. But that's, at least on Canucks Talk, that's the official way we are now referring uh, to the Rick Tockett coaching bump, or the experience, at least for this year, is the ricochet. And speaking of Rick Tockett, here he is speaking to the media before the game tonight. Yeah, a little bit of a different power play setup. You know, have the righty-righty with Kuzi and uh, Bess, which is, you know, you, you come off Millsy with a lefty-lefty look, uh, and then with uh, Husey. So, yeah, it's just a different look, throw different looks at different teams. Um but it also keeps guys on their toes. You know, you, 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 want to, you want competition in those positions, too. You saw just about everything out of Dallas the last time you played yeah. the Stars in Big D, including that second period where they had like a 20-3 to three shot advantage. Yeah. What are the challenges tonight against a club that's won, what, 6-7 or seven and kind of spanked the, the crack in last night? Yeah, um, the, you know, they have an identity. You know, yeah. Pete DeBoer's got them playing a certain style. Um, I actually like the way they play. You know, they play the no-nonsense north-south. Uh, Heisken, you know, he's a... He's, you know, obviously a terrific player. The goaltending's great. I mean, you know, they're built for a playoff kind of series, um, and they, they they play a pretty simple. This is the way, this you know, this is the way we play, and uh, they don't change for anybody. Do you have any updates on um, McDonough? He was telling us yesterday that there's a big snowstorm in the Boston area. He doesn't even know when he's getting out. Do you have any? Is there any plan <laughs> yet for Aiden? I, I don't. I yeah. don't. I, I know. Um, I haven't heard anything about that yet. Don't, um, I don't know. Okay, Hronik, uh, Just, you know, he's progressing every day. Yeah. You know, um, just start skating here soon. Um, yeah, I'm, it's, it's kind of anxious to get to see him and Bear in the, in the lineup together. Um, and he's, you know, day-to-day. -day, uh, he'll be, you know, I'm sure he'll play on this road trip. Quinn is going to log a lot of minutes tonight, and you've got three and four plus back-to-backs. And I asked him, is there a limit? He goes, no. He says, I feel great, and I just want to play from a coaching perspective. Is, is there a ceiling? On well, I mean, yeah, I mean, obviously, sometimes you cringe when you see 20, 28, 29, but um, uh, his cardio is incredible. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, there's some wear and tear you got to be careful of, you know, like, like, but there's, I don't know, we, we've, we've made a little bit of a roll. <clears throat> He's done a great job. Sometimes there's stretches in season. You let guys just, you just, you know, let them go a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, we're conscious of that for sure. Three games and four nights and the back-to-back -back can be a grind. But from a perspective of where you are right now as a coach of a new team, it's probably the, the perfect testing ground to, to see what you've got and what you hope to have. Uh, what are you looking forward to, even looking forward, in, in terms of just yeah. getting a feel for some of the guys maybe you're not quite sure yet? No, you're right. I mean, it's three and four. I got to, you know, you got to use four, four lines more. You know, um, I got to get some... Uh, you know, I talked to Podsy yesterday and, and Kratzy. I, I get those guys out more in certain situations. Sometimes I get a hard match, 
And, um, you know, a couple games before that, I, I, I got them out there the last three, four minutes of a game against a, a top line and just to see how they do. I think it's important that they have that taste. Um, but, yeah, the, definitely you got to play four lines in a three and four. You got to get more guys out there for sure. And, and, uh, and, and even with the defense, I mean, Hughes is going to get his minutes, but the other guys have been chipping in. Rick, I'm curious what you're seeing from, from the team away from what we've all witnessed on the ice. I know you've won seven of your last ten, but watching practice yesterday, it seems like guys didn't want to leave the ice. They just kept on working on little things, mm. hanging around in the dressing room more. It seems to be a different attitude. Has the culture changed? Has the attitude changed? What are you seeing? Well, I asked them to bring out, you know, when I got here, attitude and energy. You know, that's if you can supply that, you know, we'll, we're going to try to supply the, the answers for you, you know, the questions they ask, you know, where to go, you know, what kind of system we're playing. So we're trying to give them the answers. I, I, I'm, I told you guys this, the little things for me count, and I, I'm seeing it. Body position, you know, chip, I call it chipping a body, getting in front of a guy for your teammate. Our tracking has been really good. I thought, you know, our back checking – that's how you win hockey games, you know. Um, you know, and I think guys have bought into that. If, if, if you know, yeah, you want sure system and you want guys scoring. I get, but it's the little things to me matter, and I think they understand that. They va- they value it. That's what that's what I've seen as as, as every day goes on. They're valuing those little things. We all know that winning helps too. And Jay, JT said it was, it was a shit show basically the way yeah. this season was going. Now we see a, a different attitude in the dressing. <clears throat> Is it more than just winning though? Um, I, I think it's uh, you know obviously winning's the, the, the what you want to do obviously but it, it's the process process of it and it, it's a taste right it like when the season ends I hope guys understand you know it's going to get even harder this summer they they got to train like they got to be like, we're going to obviously have a that's a whole different uh, ball of wax but training camp and the standard for the Canuck is going to be risen high and uh, this is not a four month you know sure you you rest your body but you have to come in at a certain level if you want to play um it's just a standard we have to set and, I, and that's why it's important that they have it now in their head you know yeah we want you to back check and it, it, this this should be like brushing your teeth every day you do it it's just not a once in a while type of thing and this summer is a big summer for this organization in the sense for the players of training like uh, i'm a big big believer in that same uh, uh, yeah, same lineup. Yeah. How do, you, how do you monitor that though? You can give guys a program <clears> in the offseason, but you know, and it falls on them. But how do you monitor their program? Well, I mean, we, we, you know, like I said, I've only been here six weeks. I want, I want us to have more on hands with these guys. I want these guys. I like to see some guys hang around more. Um, you know, pop in and out. I like to see guys get here early, like a month before training camp, like, not not three days before. That's what I believe in. Hopefully, that uh, you know, I can't make them come earlier. I can suggest it. Um, it, 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 it's, a, it's a winning formula, you know. And I remember the cups we won as I was assistant in Pittsburgh. You know, Sidney Crosby shows up three, four weeks for a camp. You have 25 guys there, and uh, that's the reason we won. Um, I believe, I'm not saying guys can't take off for weekends and stuff. I just think it's very important that we set that culture here. You're flying early tomorrow, then practicing down Yeah. Is that by design? <clears throat> a little bit of science to it. I, I, I don't always do it. I just, you know, the game ends. Instead of an early practice, I, I, I'm not an early morning practice guy. Uh, for, uh, it's not for me. I, I'm up at 6. It's for the players. Like, uh, I want them to sleep in. They can go right to the airport, and then we'll get a sweat in, uh, you know, uh, 2 o'clock in Arizona. Um, well, they've played there already once, right? Yeah. No. No, no, they haven't no, played. Oh, that's right. So, like, new rink and just the surroundings, and plus, you know, you get a good sweat, and then you go for dinner. That's, I, I think, just science to it for me. They have sun down there. 
And they got signed. Yeah. Well, I got some yesterday. Oh, did you? Yeah, I finally got some. A little bit. Well, a little bit. A little bit. Further to what Jay was talking about, the two teams here that have gone to the final nine before 2011, one thing that we noticed was that those teams were tight. They may not have been the most talented, but they were tight. How important is that to you, aside from talent? I think it's huge. The chemistry, uh, and that's my job. Like Coaches can help teams get tighter. You know, uh, you know, you can't always uh, grind every day. The players, you, you got to allow them to, whether it's on a road trip, <clears throat> we stay overnight in the city, let them hang out together. Because a lot of times at, on, at home, guys have families, you don't see each other as much. But I think it's, it's everything. Um, some of the tightest teams I've ever been on were, were, were winning teams. Um, or, or just respected teams. Um, but I... I when I first got here, uh, it, it was quiet for some reason, and I, I, I owe a lot. I, the leadership group's been great. Is it's been a really loud room now. Like it, it's you know we're not the naturally a, a boisterous team, but I've seen a lot more guys getting it. But even guys that in the Myers talking that came up from us, they're talking in the room. I love that. Like it's not a hierarchy. Of, if I'm a young guy, I can't say anything. I, I, I disagree with that. So I think that brings chemistry. Can, can one or two? Well, I think you have to have a collective different guys in the room. You can't have all, you know, same type of guys. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what a bad app, like, you know, that's, you identify those guys and you try to help that. But, and, uh, you know, you hope your leadership group can handle that too. So, um, yeah, I haven't seen a bad apple. I see a lot of guys, you know, buying in. But, you know, like I said, it, it, there's going to be bumpy roads. That's when you know that, you know, who are good teammates when things don't go your way. You know, it's, there's no finger point and stuff like that. Yeah, we, we won four games row. Everything's great, but there's going to be some bumpy roads coming up ahead. We've got to be ready for it. Sorry, getting back <clears> to the <throat> other stuff. When you, when you were a player in Philly or Pitt, did you have a group that you trained with in summer? Did you train with other players? Or? I did. I st- yes. In Philly, when, I, when I was a young player, I stayed in Philly a lot and trained okay. with a lot of guys. Okay. Uh, Pittsburgh, the same thing. We have like, had a, like a summer program. Okay. Like, obviously, guys go and they do their thing in summer homes, but they always would come back, spend a week or 10 days, skate here. Um, and I believe players, especially teams that don't make the playoffs, uh, you got to skate. You can't just take two months. This is our craft. You've got to skate. I mean, uh, I forget, Footy was telling me he played with Mike Keane, and Mike Keane, if he didn't make the if, – well, if they got knocked to the playoff, he would skate or play or train till the Stanley Cup Finals was over, and then he'd take his vacation. So he acted like he was still in the final, which is actually not a bad thing, but I'm not sure you have to do that. But um, sure. it's actually – it, it gets your mind right. That's interesting from a cohesive perspective as opposed to guys just going their separate ways. Yeah, I, I just have a tough time knowing that you just take off for four months, don't t- talk to a teammate, show up two days before camp, and, you know, we know how critical starts here for this franchise is, so you got to be prepared for it. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett speaking before his team hosts the Dallas Stars tonight. Uh, major understatement there for talking at the ends about how important starts to the season are for this team and will be next year. Uh, I want to pick well, up on... And there's limited support, like the rules of the CBA, partly because everyone what teams complained can do about how everything. the Maple Leafs managed it, but yeah. you're, you're not actually able to, like really work with players that much in the offseason. It's it's very restricted. Well, and I think a lot of what he's talking about is players choosing to do certain things on their own yeah. time, right? Well, because you can't just say, hey, guys, you have to be here at 9 a.m. on, uh, you know, July 15th to train with us. And one of those favorite – one of the fa- one of my favorite, like, pro-athlete dynamics is, um, like, everyone loves their summer trainer mm-hmm. and no one likes the team trainer, right? Because the 
team has team forward goals and the uh, your personal trainer in the summer is your guy, right? So it's um, anyway, it's uh, it's interesting to hear the importance being placed on that, but it's a, a tricky one to manage for NHL teams, particularly, um, you know, based on the sort of precepts that talk yeah. is setting out. Like, I, I don't know if they're going to be able to accomplish everything that he's hoping to in that score. I want to talk a little bit about that later in the show because Ryan Johnson, who's of course the uh, Abbotsford. Canucks general manager was on of Halford and Bruff this morning, and uh, it's always a great opportunity to hear from RJ, really insightful, really thoughtful guy, uh, and he was talking about some of that same process. Obviously, the overall development process, but also guys working on different things in the summer. I want to build on that conversation uh, a little bit later in the show. Some of the other things we heard, looking for some new looks on the power play, hasn't necessarily been a bright spot for the Canucks, even as they've been playing a lot better uh, under Rick Tockett, so interesting to hear that they're still kind of, you know, tinkering on the power play, what what kind of looks they want to get on the man advantage, and then just again, you know, I had to laugh at Tockett saying, you know, sometimes you cringe where you see Quint, Quinn Hughes' minutes end up at uh, 28 or 29 minutes. Yeah. Well, that, and, that's and, that's going to be something to monitor until it changes. And so, Yeah, exactly. And saying, I mean, every time it's been brought up to him, he says it's not what he wants, but then every game you it look happens. at the stat sheet and that's what hap- what's happened. And, you know, the corollary is the minutes for Kratsov and Pod Colson. Like, I got to get them out there more. I'm looking for opportunities to do it. But he's, he's still trying to find the guy that did this. <laughs> but, yeah, it's it's great to want it. You have to do it. You have to put it into practice. And, we'll well, and, see. It, and it requires discipline. Like, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's tough to manage the minutes of your best players when they want to play and when you want to win. Uh, we will continue the Canucks conversation with Shana Goldman next. Talk about some around the league things as well. Of course, Shana Goldman from The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast. That's up next. It is Canucks Talk here on 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drantz here on a Canucks game day live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Shana Goldman of The Athletic and the Too Many Men podcast is going to join us momentarily here. And in fact, we have Shana on the line right now. Always pleased to be joined by Shana on the show here. Uh, Shana, thanks as always. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's our pleasure, as I said. And uh, I, I do want to get to some Canucks talk here, but just some some recent breaking news from an around-the-league perspective that uh, Andrei Svechnikov is going to have season-ending knee surgery uh, major blow. Obviously, you feel terribly for the player, but also just a major blow for the Carolina Hurricanes. What does this do to their outlook going into the playoffs? In your perspective, yeah, this is this is so crushing for them because, like, if we look at the Hurricanes. We know they're such a good team, but what's the thing we always talk about? It's star power. It's yeah. that they need like a little bit more oomph in their lineup, and here's a player that gives you it. Um, what do they truly need above all else? It's finishing talent. They have defensive structure. They have their perfect offensive systems and pressure and you know here's someone who's so good at forechecking and so good off the rush and so good with his finishing talent and now you lose him on top of Pasharetti the player you brought in to add the skill set you're missing it's it's devastating for them and while they have other players who can step up it's just no one's going to be at that caliber 
Yeah, it's a really tough blow, and as you said, they do have other options, but uh, it's it's not going to replace what you're losing, the, the kind of dynamic offensive ability with Sveshnikov. And just, you know, it's tough for Carolina, too, because I feel like there's been obviously so much fo- focus on Boston, and deservedly so, and then New Jersey with their rise to prominence this year. I almost feel like we've been kind of underrating how good Carolina has been this season. Yeah, I feel like they always get underrated because they don't have – that game-breaking offensive talent. They have the game-breaking defensive talent or the game-breaking two-way talent. And it's, you know, we we look to offense. That's the exciting thing. That's the pop everybody wants. So, you know, it makes sense we underrate them. And also, like, they don't make as splashy of moves, but I think that says something too, right? Like, if a team doesn't use the trade deadline to completely redo their roster, it says something because their roster is so good in the first place. You shouldn't want to rebuild your roster at the deadline. You only want to supplement and add secondary talent. That's how they've approached it because their team is so good. But it's it's like the team, the identity, that's what we think about instead of the star player. And I think that's what takes away from how a lot of us view them. Shana, with the Hurricanes, because you're right. They're number one in the NHL by point percentage and not by a little bit over the course of the last three years combined, right? So they are the best regular season team of the last three years, and yet come deadline season, they never really seem to push their chips in. Now, I I think they made a serious bid for Timo Meyer, but they certainly weren't going to be in the rental market like some of the other, most of the other teams in the Eastern Conference. At some point, is it incumbent on them to push their chips into the middle of the table, do you think? Yeah, I think that if they could have this year, they would have, you know, with, like you said, like with Timo Meyer. Um, and it, they're a team that sounds like they're kind of, you know, anytime there's a big player on the market, we hear teams like Vegas somehow always being in the mix. And Toronto gets thrown out there because, of course, it's Toronto and things like that. But, like, it seems like the Hurricanes are always on the fringes of it, but they're never the ones leading the charge. And at a certain point, yeah, they're going to have to do that. I think what helps them is, like, they do have a good cap situation. They've set up for themselves to have this long window, and they have a good core that's at the right point in their timeline. At a certain point, though, they're going to have to try to just maximize on the regular season. Like, Boston right now. Boston kind of has that ticking timeline because of Bergeron's status and Krejci and who's returning and the ages of their core. And you want to make the best of the season by any means necessary, which means putting all your chips in and betting on the season so you have the best chance of success in the playoffs, that you actually make something of your year. I don't feel like the pressure's been on them yet to do it. And I wonder at what point does that happen? Will it be next year? After this year, obviously, it's going to go south for them depending on who's available for the playoffs, who isn't, you know, like maybe they can make it through, but can they go for a deep run? Can they truly win if they're going to be without Svechnikov? Like I have a hard time seeing it as great as they are. And they're not someone, you know, they're not a team built on one player, but I wonder if that kind of amps up the pressure for next year or the year after, like, is that the year they finally get aggressive? I would be interested to see. So here in Vancouver, Shana, the, the big topic of conversation right now is, so, you know, the Canucks much improved record recently under Rick Tockett, improved process and improved form as well. And kind of the debate is, you know, how much of that is due to the quality of competition they're playing, how much of it is just it's this time of year and, you know, a lot of the games that you're playing don't mean that much and how much of it is legitimate improvement because of Rick Tockett. What are you seeing when you watch the Canucks these days? Yeah, that's a good question. It's it's such a tough time of year. It feels like a lot of times when a team switches coaches, we see like a huge pop, right? And like we've seen this with Vancouver before yes. with, with, you know, the Bruce Woodrow effect. So, you know, that could definitely be the case. Um, but like below the surface, it does feel like they're scoring 
more than expected right now. And there's still a lot of issues defensively, but it looks like they've actually had like the goal scoring to kind of match it and the goaltending too. So that definitely helps. Is it sustainable? I'm not sure. Can they try to build on this in a more sustainable way though, than maybe they did under Boudreaux because it was like that magical start. And then, you know, the wheels kind of came off in the second year. Obviously, Like I, I'm just curious if this is going to be any different, you know, I think there's, you know, definite good, that we're seeing like Pedersen, right? Like he's, he's thriving still. That's what they need. They need the foundational pieces, the cornerstones to thrive. They need, you know, Demko to play well and they can kind of figure out who should be here, who shouldn't be here and how to fix this roster. So it's not a full tear down rebuild, but I only put so much stock in this current stretch because we've seen this before. You mentioned Elias Pedersen, the way he's playing there, Shane Ed. I just wanted to touch on that for a second. We were kind of talking yesterday on the show about how close Pedersen is to potentially being a top five center in the NHL, given the type of year he's having. Is that maybe a little too much for you right now, or or could you see him at least in the conversation for that top five center range? Ooh, top five center is tough because, like, there's only five. There's and there's four that are pretty much locked in right away. That's that's the thing, right? So you you've got McDavid, yeah. McKinnon, Matthews, and Drysaitel kind of right off the top. Drysaitel's a tricky one. I don't know if I put him there, honestly. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> I, I I keep him in the top ten. Um, it it's definitely. I think he could be up there. There's players like Sidney Crosby still there. You know, Braden Point. Um, at his, you know, at his best is there, but I think for sure top ten, and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. You know, like Mika Zibanejad out of New York, I would say top ten. Nico Hishier, top ten, like that's good company to keep. That's and Barkoff, I think arguably you could even say is that five slot. So I have a hard time putting him that high because of who already checks off those first, you know, three guaranteed. Um, but top 10 is a very good thing to be, you know, I just think sometimes we get like so bogged down by like, they have to be the best at this and they have to be the generational tier. And it's like, it's okay if you're just the elite tier and it's a very tough position to play, not in the easiest of markets, not in the best environment. And I think he really showed how good he is despite everything going around him this year, going on around him this year. So I say top 10 for sure, maybe seven or eight, but I don't know if I could say top five yet. I had Aho rounding up my top five, by the way. Shayna. Hey, Shayna, I want to ask you about the New York Islanders and their playoff push. It looks like they've played well of late. Bo Horvat hasn't contributed much offensively, but he's playing a ton and they're winning those minutes, territorially speaking. What have you seen from him? What have you seen from the Islanders? Are they going to hang on here? It feels like they're going to hang on and it's because other teams are losing to a point. Like, mm. um, while the Islanders were losing games, it helped that other teams around them were, and that, and now they're starting to pick it up, and the other teams around them aren't pushing back enough. You know, Ottawa lost a couple tough games. Buffalo last week definitely had some struggles. Um, Detroit stepped back. So it's like, who could really push them? Maybe it's Florida, but, you know, they, they have some clear weaknesses too. Um the Islanders, apparently, you have to say they're bad. They have no chance, and they're just going to say, hey, we're going to prove you wrong and turn everything around. I don't understand how it works, but it's legitimately always how it works with this team. But they have improved. You know, if you look over their last 10 games, like at 5-on-5, five five, there's some positive trends. And then you look at the power play since Horvath's in there, and it's been very good below the surface, even if they don't have the results that you would anticipate. Like, this is a team that the power play has been a problem for a very long time for them. It just has not been good below the surface for – Sometimes, so if they have 
you know, that strong offensive generation, I think it bodes well. You know, it's 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 a little bit different from what they had, and I think the results are going to keep coming. So, you know, if they're managing this with some key injuries, you know, like Barzell, kind of an important guy, and uh, Wallstrom, who should be rounding out their top six forward group, I think it's a good sign of what's to come. And I think that they're, the Islanders are very much a team that if they get to the playoffs, it's kind of like look out because they're who so many they like they embody with so many teams want to be in the playoffs, right? That hard team to play against, that physical team that can really, you know, build offense off that tough defense and physical play. And then you have, you know, Ilya Sorokin, who is the best goalie in the league right now by, you know, I think a good amount. So it, it could be like the perfect storm for them for things to click. Shana, what are you – Canucks play Dallas tonight. And Dallas playing their fourth and sixth. They're playing on the back-to-back. This market has really bought in to what we're seeing under Rick Tockett. We're calling it the ricochet on this program. And yet, you know, they're not favored tonight, despite the deck being stacked against the Stars. I see that as Vegas kind of fading. The idea that the Canucks are suddenly a playoff caliber team. What are you seeing? What would be your read? I feel like everyone kind of underrates Dallas, right? Like, does everyone get bored of talking about the Stars actually being good? Because it does kind of feel like that. Um, You know, they have an incredible top line. They have an incredible number one defenseman and an incredible goaltender. And now they have a little bit more below that top line that's, you know, giving them the boost that they were missing last year. Um, You know, players like having that renaissance. Like, there's, there's a good reason, I think, that Dallas, you know, the power play, you look at what they did against Seattle. Seattle doesn't allow many power play goals against, and I think it was three in a game, which if I remember right, Allison Lee can't tweet it the first time since December 3rd. Like, that's something to watch out for. So I can see why Dallas, even though it is a back-to-back, you know, uh, Wedgwood has been serviceable. I think that power play and that slight edge in 5-on-5 five five play is what's going to give them the advantage there. But you really never know, right? You know, this is a league. You can't predict it perfectly such a random game we're talking about a game with everyone running around with knives on their boots on a slippery surface so who can say what's really gonna happen (laughs) uh shana always really appreciate the time thanks so much we'll talk soon thanks for having me that is shana goldman of the athletic and the too many men podcast joining us here uh, on canucks talk sportsnet 650 and uh as usual i think a sharp and fair take on what she's seen from the canucks recently uh, from Shayna, improved, but obviously still major questions as well, which, yeah, come on. That's the you know, only you have an issue with that? That's the only way. Well, and I mean, you know, the um, there's commentary, too, on the different vibes in the room, right? And everything's fixed now. JT Miller, this is the quote per my VanCast co-host, Farhan Lalji. Mm-hmm. This wasn't too fun of a place to be in the beginning and mid part of the year. It was a bit of a bleep show. It really was. A lot of distraction. I think we've moved on. We understand who we're going to be moving forward. It's fun to come to the rink again. Are we just going to pretend that the happiest group of happy practicers that ever had happy practices all through December and January and February last year didn't happen? Are we going to pretend that we didn't have these exact same conversations last year? That the culture wasn't fixed when they got rid of the dastardly Travis Green and hired winningest regular season head coach yeah. Mr. Mr. Scotty Mr. Vibes, Bruce Boudreaux. Like, we're going to pretend that this is on Bruce? Bruce soared the vibes? 
Or was it Luke Shen and Bo Horvat? <laughs> two two guys who've had a lot of negative things said about their character ever by a single one of their teammates once on or off record. Come on. Like at some point we have to suspend just a little teensy bit of, of disbelief here, don't we? Like I'm sure it is a much happier place to go. Yeah, to they're work. winning I have every no game. Doubt about it. Well, not only that, but there's no pressure right now. Yeah. Which is a very similar dynamic to what played out last year. It is a lot easier to have that looseness when the pressure is completely off, when you know that there's not a lot of stakes to your season. Of course it is. So I don't doubt what JT Miller is saying. That no, guys are probably a lot happier. And, of course, because the coaching situation has been resolved. Well, right? I, for sure. And there's, you know, one thing that d- does happen, too, is when you have a player like a Bo Horvat, who's the captain of the team, but you've signed another guy ahead of him, that's complicated. Right? When the guy you sign is then not playing very well, that's complicated, right? And the other guy's on the third in the NHL in goal scoring, right? Like, you can understand how those dynamics get strained. But that's not on individuals. That's on situational management. You know, like, that's on how this team has conducted itself. Anyway, I Well, um, no, I mean, I, I think the idea that, like... Bruce Boudreaux and Bo Horvat were holding this team back. That doesn't hold a lot of water. No, for me, it's to a say joke. the least. What like, a joke! Of course, the circumstances have changed for the better around this team. We we all know that. Yeah, they're they're not in the midst of a protracted divorce from their coach. They're, they're, like that. That's a huge change right there. Is it? You mean it's helpful to have management and the head coach on the same page? But even with the vibes, like the big test is well, what happens next season? Yeah, like the vibes weren't bad in training camp. No, they weren't. This year, they weren't. But they quickly, remember they had that bad preseason showing and we came on the air and I was like, people are mad internally about their performance last night in the very first preseason, the split squad preseason game. Yep. Like from that point on, you kind of had a, (laughs) from that point on for me anyway, I kind of had a sense that this was going to be tough. But that's my point is you got like they didn't even get out of the preseason with the vibes intact. So it's one thing to that. That just illustrates how fragile the atmosphere of the new culture can be when it's being built at this time of year. You know what I mean? Like this is winning games when you're 17 points out of the playoff spot in March. That's not a strong foundation to build a a winning culture and winning chemistry. Obviously. Yeah. Right. So it's good. It's better than the alternative. Like it would be a lot worse. If J.G. Miller and everyone were, you know, even under Rick Tockett, we're still like, oh, man, this is miserable. I don't like this. That would be bad, too. But it only goes so far until you see it in action and you hear the same things. And not even just in training camp. Like, okay, yeah, hey, everyone shows up for training camp. It's like the first week of school. You're excited. You know, you're like, hey, this year I'm going to do all my homework. I'm going to really try this year. This year is going to be different. See how it lasts a few weeks in. See how you give it a month where you're still in the race to see if those good vibes persist. Have you ever been to a party? Where it's either a theme party that everyone shows up in theme and you don't, 100%. Or, or the far worse alternative. You're the only person in theme. <laughs> where you show up to a theme party that everyone else has been too cool for, and you're one of like two people or maybe the only person in the theme costume. I don't think I've ever done the latter, because uh, I'm not a big costume guy. Like I usually do the bare minimum in terms of a Halloween costume. Oh, really? I have a... I have a cowboy hat at home, and I have a, like a construction workers hat at home, and I just rotate between those because the re- the rest of the costume you can decide just be, which of the village people the re- you yeah. want to be, well, and the rest of the costume is the same, just right. like jeans and a plaid shirt, and then I just put the hat on to complete the outfit. Do you own pairs of denim and plaid? 
Yeah. My believe, goodness. Believe it or not, I do. I know I don't have to change from my regular outfit. I'm just like, this is great. I just put on a different hat. You, so, you know what? You know what? That's basically you're basically a Lego figurine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> like just like put the parted hair hat on and yeah. you're set. The most work I ever did for Halloween was like one year I was wearing the cowboy outfit and I did like zombie face paint. So I was a mm. zombie cowboy. That was good. So every year, at least two two years in a row now, but really maybe three. The season is sort of wound down, and I've got the sense that I've shown up to the party, the theme party in normal clothes and civvies. You know, and there's like this desire to buy into a narrative that things are better. And it's always constructed on like the flimsiest evidence. And I'm just like, should I go? (laughs) Should I just grab an Uber? Am I bumming everyone else out? Because <laughs> I'm, it's bumming me out. Am I killing the vibe here? Yeah, I definitely am. I definitely am. But it's it. If you're gonna be the different team and the culture is different, win tonight. Win tonight. Like you got to win tonight. You got to keep winning game. Like we have to get to a point where the expectation is that they're gonna beat a team like Dallas. Who, yeah, they're good, but they're not a. They're not an elite team. I'm sorry, they're not. I don't buy them as an elite team for a second. They could they could win a couple rounds in the playoffs, but I don't think they're winning the cup. I don't think they're going to be on my group of anything can happen teams. So at some point, like you want the vibes, you want to talk about how it's different. You want to say we're a good team, I believe in this core. Earn it. Perform. Our expectation should be that they win tonight, and our expectation should be that they make the playoffs next year. And our expectation, frankly, should be that they are contending for a cup in the next two years based on the moves they're making. And they should talk like that. You don't just get to be a good team because you say you're a good team. There's a burden of proof here. Yeah, again, the talk, what were they saying coming in, going into training camp or at training camp? It would it was, well, but it was really Bruce. It would be a disaster. No, if we missed no, the no. It was players too. It was players too. It was players uh, too. And the, unfin- the, 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 the short-lived, unfinished business era. The headline quote: "It would be a disaster" was from yeah. Bruce, but less obvious quotes, but the same tone, sure. the same meaning from players as well. But then when we asked Patrick Alvin about their goals in the wake of the Heronic trade, he w- he didn't really want to be pinned down. Like management's been a little more circumspect. They think they can be good fast. That's the one thing they've been clear about. But their route to get there or raising the expectations around this team, really aspiring for excellence, that's that's still anathema for this organization. And it shouldn't be. You know, again, it's like wanting to have both, both your cake and eat it, right? You want to be thought a good team. You want to believe in the core. But you're not willing to put high expectations on them. That, to me, is where... I start to get frustrated and, you know, consider leaving the party because, you know, I've shown up in my Playboy Bunny costume and everyone else is wearing normal stuff. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not a visual we all needed, my guy. Oh, no, I wanted to my go to an extreme. goodness. My goodness. That was not what I was expecting there. And it's... it's <laughs> well, I really, I really shocked well, you I was there. just like, Whoa! <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't think of another type of theme party. Excuse me. Um, <laughs> you couldn't think of another type of theme party. It's not that risque a costume, in fairness. It's got bunny ears and All right. sleeveless top. I'll leave it to you. Um, like a romper. And the thing, yes, <laughs> we don't need to start that again. The thing is, and I think this adds to the frustration, is we're stuck in limbo. 
we're stuck in limbo for like six months on this conversation. Because I think one of the things that almost everyone agrees, even the most optimistic people, is none of this means every anything until it carries over until next year, right? And we just, by definition, cannot have a resolution on, is this more of an late-season flip or is there something sustainable? We cannot answer that question for, like, minimum six months. More than that. Six months puts us into September. Six months puts us, like, barely into opening of training camp. We're talking like seven, eight months here before we really start to get an answer on that. So it's this tough position to be in where you're looking for, you're kind of squinting to see any signs that it is real. But part of you also knows uh, that you're not going to have that actual confirmation for a while. Chet and Burnaby text in as well. Uh, when the Canucks won so much last year, suddenly the pressure was there again. They started losing again in the last couple of weeks. And you could even go back, not just necessarily the last couple of weeks of last year, but earlier than that, like February, there were games where there were there was like homestands where it felt like, oh, man, if they win four in a row on this homestand, all of a sudden the playoff conversation becomes legitimate. And it did feel like, OK, now that the pressure is back on, we're going to see more of that disappointment, more of that underwhelming well, performance. Well, and, we, and we saw it repeatedly last year, right, where it was like they'd get to the precipice and then fall out. They'd get yeah. to the precipice and then fall out. But this year they haven't even, you know, been able to do that. Disco Stew says, for the record, once they start sweating and their face paint starts running down their cheeks, everyone at the theme party secretly knows uh, that the guy who didn't dress up made the right decision. That's from <laughs> Disco Stew. That's why I'm the guy who doesn't put a lot of effort into the costume. It's middle of the road. Can take it off easily if I need to, if, if it's not right for whatever reason. Just low effort. That's what I'm all about here. Lower the bar. Lower the expectations. Uh, we will be back. More coming up here uh, in the next hour. Keep your thoughts coming in. we got 10 minutes of positivity coming up as well. I think we'll do it in the next segment. So get your submissions in for that. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about some potential NHL rule changes that we'd be interested in seeing with the uh, NHL general manager meetings happening right now. All that and more. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strands, live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team. AvenueMachinery.ca, DouglasLakeEquipment.com. Calm and 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Um, NHL GM meetings happening right now. I think it's fair to say that it hasn't been the the juiciest set of meetings in terms of news, in terms of you know what we're hearing come out. Now we'll see. Gary Bettman expected to speak tomorrow. We'll see if there's any salary cap information, any more information about you know the sale of the Ottawa Senators, some of those big front burner issues but one of the things that has come out uh, from what we're hearing from uh, from the NHL GM meetings down in Florida uh, are some I don't even know if I want to call them like rule changes rule tweaks maybe is a better way to put it like these are review small tweaks. scale things we're talking about yeah, yeah review tweaks review tweaks you know talking about uh, calling the instigator penalty maybe a little more strictly so guys don't have to fight after they make a clean hit things like that but the review ones are the is the one that's uh, probably come up the most, which is just expanding review a little bit, things like puck out of play, uh, high sticking 
calls where you might not have the ability to review it right now. And I'm always very, very skeptical of expanding review. Like oh. I think you have to be so, so careful oh. because the unintended Get consequences it. Get rid of it as we've seen across sports are well, not it's, great. It's funny because remember the Dallas the Dallas Canucks game last time? The overtime oh, winner man. that took like and the and the, uh, and the Dallas game ops, which was amazing, trolling yeah. the length of time it took to decide that the Canucks had won the game, which we all were pretty confident about. Um, yeah, come on. I m- the only change that review needs, I think, is you should get to watch it once in real time. If you can't see it with a second look in real time, like it doesn't need to be broken down like the Sapruder film. Yeah. It should be it should only be catching like truly heinous violations that would like really render an injustice were they allowed to stand. And I also wonder if there's even just a way to like remove the coaching challenge aspect of it and just if you have people watching from Toronto, right? From League Ops who catch those big mistakes and it's their job, like, oh man, that player was way offside on that goal. We gotta call that back. We gotta call the arena and whistle that goal. Uh, and, and get them to review it, right? Like, rather than have it be this kind of another part of strategy within the game, which I think can slow things down as well, and it, it makes it tough for the coaches to make those decisions, just if you're actually committed to removing those bad plays from the game, handle it centrally. Like, you take responsibility for it at that point, rather than leave it up to the coach, like, well, do you want to challenge this or do you not? I'm on board with that, although I kind of like the drama of the coach's challenge. Like, just, I like it in the a- NFL, and I like it, I like I like things that add little elements of strategy uh, to the game. It's at cross purposes though with the idea of we want to make sure we get every hundred percent. Right. You know what I, I mean? I agree so with. you're trying to kind of serve two objectives there, and it's just kind of an awkward fit. More than anything, at no point watching an NHL game this season have I thought to myself, you know, this game needs more reviewable plays. Like to me, that's just overthinking yeah. things in a dramatic way. Now you only can you can only expand it that way if you also do things to limit the time impact it has. Mm. You know what I mean? So whether it's I, I would go a little bit further than just once in real time, but maybe it's you have a minute to watch it, something like that, or oh, you sure. can only like watch it in real time. Yeah, like hey, we're gonna we're gonna watch this. We're gonna get it done really quickly to make sure we don't make any extremely obvious errors. Yeah. That that's and if time expires, the call stands. I, exactly. I love that. Uh, that yeah. I'm okay with that, but I also think like the frame by frame doesn't. If you're if you're at the point where you're like frame by painstaking frame figuring out if a play is should stand or not, like it doesn't matter. Yeah, and and honestly, I would also add a statute of limitations. Like I hate in real time. Like this is one of my biggest things that I find as a drawback as a like pretty experienced hockey viewer just generally. Because I love the game, right? Like, I watch an embarrassment of hockey. And one thing that takes me out of it is when a play is close at the blue line and possession is established and then it goes on and it's like a really good shift and you know that the other team's getting tired and a goal is becoming more probable as, you know, a partial change is made and the pressure continues to be applied. And I'm watching the whole thing being like, oh, this is going to come back. And and all of a sudden the danger of the moment, the excitement or even of the like, shift is could violated. This, could this come back? Right? Because yeah, you know it's going to be reviewed as soon as if the goal goes in, you totally. know there's going to be a review. But so so like the danger is muted for the defending team, and the excitement of what the offensive team is creating is muted for me for the entirety of like in. And then when the puck clears, I like exhale. It's like I'm not. 
excited, like watching these games as a fan or, or casual viewer, I'm not excited about the action. I'm excited about the lack of review, the like certainty that this isn't going to matter now. Um, if it's not directly offside, like if it's not like a bang, bang play, if it doesn't happen within 10 seconds of the entry, who cares? Yeah. Once it's, it's a minute it's not down the road, it's yeah, like, well, it's you relevant. probably could have cleared the puck. There's like six other mistakes <laughs> that have, that have contributed. The puck by like now. the Canucks had a beautiful goal in 2019-20. It was an unbelievable power play sequence. Gorgeous goal. And it was like withering persistence for a minute and 45 seconds from Vancouver's top unit. And they score. And then the entries rolled like an inch offside. And they reset the clock and you just do it again. And it's like, what happened to all that great hockey that I just watched? You know, like that that just falls into the Springfield like mystery hole. Like, come on. It, it ridiculous. Um What's the, something you want to see that's not that's not on the docket well, watching, or hasn't been brought up? Watching the baseball world championships or what are they called? World baseball classic. World baseball classic. The mercy Which, rule. By the way, oof. Yeah, I know. Canada. Yikes. But at least they got mercy. They got mercyed. Yes. So so what's the rule? It's it's ten if it's you're 10 down by runs, ten in I'm the seventh sh- inning. Yeah. At the end of the seventh inning, the game's called. But also, if you're down by a certain amount after the fifth, there's two different mercy moments in the game. One after the fifth, one after the seventh. And, you know, 82 games is too much for professional hockey players. Like, we now live in a world where if you play more than 60 games as as a starter, you're likely to break down in the playoffs or get hurt, right? The minutes burden on guys is just too high, right? If Quinn Hughes plays 28 minutes a game, for example, over 82 games, you're looking at like 2,300 minutes. Like, I know the guy's built like Gumby and can skate all day, but come on. <laughs> at some point, that's a little much. Um, but that's that's what you want to see when you go to a game. Like, you want to see Quinn Hughes be a one-man breakout machine for <laughs> as many minutes as you can. Um, I just think the schedule is too compressed. I think the demands on the body body are outrageous. I think it results in teams being compromised far too often come playoff time, either because their goaltender's shaky or hurt, or because they've got a key player out, or there's a soft tissue injury, and and on and on. And I know that the league has long traded off and romanticized like the attrition of the playoffs, but it's like, don't you want to see the best teams at their best when the games matter the most? Like, come on. So. Watching that mercy rule thing got me thinking, I, I, I don't think it would be a bad thing necessarily for the NHL to have, like, after two periods, if you're down by five, call the game. and a spe- or, or maybe it only applies to the first and second legs. If one team is on the first or mm. second leg of a back-to-back and they're up or down by five, the third period's scrapped. That's, that's it. And, and I'd add this. I'd add this as a wrinkle. In back-to-back games, where a game is tied after two, okay, I think the teams should be able to come to an agreement between the head coaches that the third period is played, that the third period is played as a sudden death period of oh, hockey. That's so. <laughs> that's so good. I love it. anything that involves like. Like I'm picturing like the uh, when like the five families meet in the Godfather, it's like a sit down. It's like okay, we're gonna have we're we're gonna have a meeting. We're gonna have a conference here in between periods. It's a negotiation. What are you what are we doing? Are we doing sudden death or not? Anything that adds that element between coaches mid game, yeah, it's awesome. And like you know, if you're if you're a far better team, right? Your incentive is let's play it out. I don't want a bad luck goal to cost me two points. I'm confident I'm going to beat you over 20 minutes. 
but there's some nights where it's like, yeah, you know what? Like, we think we can beat you in three. Or it's like, save our legs. We're locked into playoff positioning. We don't really care. We'd rather just get out of here. So let's play sudden death and see. But we'll go all out for three minutes and see if we can win. If not, all right, no, no skin off our back. Well, and we get more sudden death hockey, presumably. Like, presumably for fans, we'd get. And and look, maybe to incentivize teams to do it, once the agreement is made, you're locking in two one in terms of a point split. Right? So if you agree to play sure, sudden death, sure. it's gonna count as an overtime loss. So you lock in to create incentive for both sides to agree to it early, as opposed to what happens in NHL games now, where like the first five minutes of the third period look normal, and then for the last fifteen minutes it's increasingly conservative, chip it in hockey. There's not enough rewards for teams to try to win in regulation. So you the teams just have this like gentleman's agreement. You see it all the time where like breakouts get slow and like teams start dumping it in on two on twos and it's it's maddening give us more sudden death like sudden death hockey is the best sports entertainment product on the planet so give us more of it the sudden death one and i think we should we should put the caveat out here but we we're aware this is not going to happen <laughs> the sudden death one i don't mind the mercy rule one because if you're a home team and you're up five nothing like that's party time for the fans. You know what I mean? Like maybe got maybe a guy's on hat trick watch. Maybe mm. maybe your your goalie's looking for his first shutout, right? And you want it to be a full sixty minute t- shutout. Like for for the fans of the home team, it wouldn't even feel like an accomplishment. It would feel like a ripoff. I think to have your team mercy rule the other team. Like yeah, there's a bit of bravado, but you paid to go to that game and you're seeing wow, this is an incredible performance. And then it gets called after two minutes when you're like looking to like coast and celebrate and have fun in the stands in that third period. The sudden Fair death enough. one, at least, like people are pointing out, well, hold on, I want to see the whole game. At least with the sudden death one, you're getting potentially a shorter time, likely a shorter time, but increased entertainment value packed into that time. So that one I can get on board with. The mercy rule one, it's also just, can you imagine? But like, who- can you imagine anyone in the NHL, NHL proposing a mercy rule when they're so invested in being like the most manly, tough guy league in the world? Yeah, but I mean, I, I get it. But also, come on, like, you really want to see your you want to see your team play through a five nothing hole? Come on. Well, I mean, but I'm saying like from the the, Those the other. But there's always, by definition, a group of fans who would want to see it. The fans on the other side would want to see it. You know what I mean? Like, oh, someone's having fun if they're if a team is up by five goals. Yeah, but it's fun to win, too. Anyway, here's the other one that I want to discuss. The MLS. Have you seen this? The MLS has implemented... I did. Somebody tagged us yeah. on, uh, on Twitter, yes. The MLS has implemented the ability for teams... Higher-seeded teams get to draft their opponent effectively for the playoffs. So you get to choose which team you want to face as a reward for finishing with the better regular season record. Oh, sign me so far up for this in hockey. I have no problem with it. I don't think it would lead to the like fireworks bulletin board material that everyone thinks it does though. Because like 99% of the time, I think you're just going to go by seed, right? Like the first seed is just going to choose the 8th seed in the conference. Yeah, but there's And do it to avoid that bulletin board material. You know what I mean? I think, though, that teams, like, let me give you an example of a team that might not have. Do you think the Vancouver Canucks President's Trophy winners in 2011 picked the Chicago Blackhawks? Nope. Well, or do they? No. No chance. Got to beat them at some point. No chance. But if they hadn't, if they had been the first seed and the Blackhawks had been the eighth seed and they avoided them, 
I don't think they would have. I think they would have just said, no, we want to face Chicago. Like, because if they had picked another team, everyone would have been like, oh, you're scared of Chicago. You guys are cowards. You no, don't have it in yet. Uh, well, maybe, but who cares? They would have just, you know, what what you do is you pick a one of the Californian teams with less travel. You know, like, you don't want to fly to Chicago three times, potentially, over the course of your first round series, right? Canucks wouldn't have picked Nashville in the second round either. And it wouldn't be have been about avoiding Pecorine. It would have been about avoiding the travel to the southeastern United States, right? Like, by the time you play Chicago and then Nashville, you've logged an outrageous amount of miles. Like, you know, you've made a ton of trips. It's so, and then the next year you probably duck L.A. too. Nope, not 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 facing that team right now. I I think it's cool, and I think it adds an element of strategy. Teams would choose to like travel less. I don't know. I think I think it'd be fun. I agree with you that it might not be the same level of bulletin board fireworks that we'd hope for, mm. but I still think it would be a cool wrinkle. I'm I'm here for that. Uh, this one I like from Mac in North Vancouver, uh, who's asking for no offsides in overtime. It would be awesome, pond hockey style. With three, I do agree. Stripping out rules from three on three overtime and just making it like more of a all skill free for all because we are like once we're going to three on three. We're not replicating what we normally see in the in the five in five on five, right? We're not replicating what we use to decide who the best team is in the Stanley Cup playoffs. We're kind of embracing already that it's a sideshow. So why just not why not just go farther down that road? You bring some of the spark and some of the excitement back to three on three. I think that's been lost a little bit with the the emphasis on maintaining possession. Just let the guys go all out. I'm totally for that. I love that one from Mac in North Vancouver. Um, here's one from Todd has bad takes, uh, verifying that, in fact, he has bad takes. I, I want to see in-game shaming. For every goal that a goalie gives up, a flashy bobble gets added to the <laughs> top of their mask. <laughs> that's not even a bad take. It's just, like, out there. It's like, excuse me? <laughs> <laughs> sure why not <laughs> um, you know what it reminds me of it reminds me of like a mario kart battle where you have like the balloons on the back of your car and they get popped yeah, slowly yeah, yeah, as yeah. the game goes on uh carmen in vancouver this is actually a really good point as well as a huge sports fantasy fan any shortening of the game uh would have a negative impact on fantasy sports because you're losing opportunities for your guys to right. put up numbers there's uh, also and, there's hey. there's gambling implications as well there that's fair, especially that's because a, that's a good point. Fantasy, fantasy, and and gambling are huge gateways into sports, into different f- sporting leagues, right? Like, just like how I know everything about the WCC and have takes on like Santa Clara's bench. <laughs> like you need, you know, I I do think it's a vital gateway to get fans to be really knowledgeable and and have high stakes around your game. In fact, I think that's one thing, like. You know, one thing that hockey sort of could benefit from is how do you how do you make hockey fantasy work better? Mm. Right now. Now, I'm not knocking hockey fantasy. I want to be clear here. I'm a big fantasy basketball player. I don't play a ton of fantasy hockey because I find it impinges on my ability to enjoy the games. I never want to be watching a game and being like, oh, man, it wasn't my guy on that line who got the goal because that's what I really needed. The power play point at this on this particular Sunday. Right. But. You know, the NBA has this issue, too, where, like, managing my NBA fantasy teams over the course of a six-month season is, like, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. A lot of work. As opposed to the football thing where you, you can kind of set it and forget it over the course of the week and, and maybe on Tuesdays during the waiver wire, right? Like, that's it's a two-day commitment per week as opposed to the hockey or basketball thing where it's, like, life-consuming for six months. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, all right, we're a little bit late here, but uh, let's do it. Uh, our new segment on the show, 10 Minutes of Positivity here on Canucks Talk. Uh, I'll, I'll go, and we have some submissions coming in as well. And 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your uh, 10 minutes of positivity, your positive thoughts, Canucks or otherwise, really. You get them into the inbox uh, right now. But uh, th- this one is not exactly an under-the-radar story, uh, given what's happening around the team right now. But, man, how great is it to see Thatcher Demko back in net doing Thatcher Demko-style things? And, of course, we can have the debate about how healthy it is for a team to be reliant on really, really good goaltending, even when it's coming from Thatcher Demko. Is it masking flaws with the team? All of that. But it's also really nice. It's also really good to have an elite-level goalie. And since he's been back, Thatcher Demko much improved over what we saw uh, in the early part of the season pre his injury. I believe he's up to a, a 9.28 save percentage since he has been back. And look, you were talking about raising expectations that the expectations should be for this to be a playoff team going into next year. And we know, like, we'll see how the rest of the roster, how the rest of the roster develops, what changes are made, all of that, what impact Philip Ronick has. The team is not going to be a playoff team without very high level performance from Thatcher Demko. So if you are hoping that the Rick Tockett bump, the ricochet, carries over to next year. Demko has to be a big part of that. He's looked fantastic, and it's just it's great for him to be back in the crease, and I think it's great for the Canucks organization as well to have Thatcher Demko back doing Thatcher Demko things in the crease. Yeah, you know, it's not just been his performance either. The way that he's carrying himself away from the ice. Like, I, I read IMAX take uh, at sportsnet.ca the other day, or maybe last Yesterday, night. Yesterday, I believe. Yeah, last night. And, you know, Demko to start this season was like a little bit ornery to deal with, uncharacteristically ornery. Like he used to be, he used to be amped after games. So he wasn't like a good quote, but there was a standoffishness in terms of his handling the media. You know, the point where he wouldn't be available after some games. Um, that just seemed different about him. And then the struggles were pronounced, right? And then, you know, he was losing starts to Spencer Martin. Imagine that. And people were, like, saying he should, right? Like, the market was like... Bruce Boudreaux was like, we're going 50%. Yeah. We're going 50% here. And fans were like, of course. Um, Can you... A take that just looks wild. That's like the the Pedersen takes from 12... Uh, well, I guess 15 months ago yeah. now, right? Um, or the JT Miller is the best player on this team takes from ten months ago, but uh, but truly, it's uh, time time moves fast in terms of that. It feels like he used the time rehabbing to really reset the mental side of the game for himself, and he talks to iMac about that too. But I think part of it is a, how he approaches too, like the game day preparation of of speaking to the media and how he handles that part of it. And it's been noticed by me for sure, and I've been really impressed. It looks like the old reflective ice water in his veins version of Demko that has so impressed me in the past again. Yeah, And and I don't even mean his play. I mean just the way he's 
handling himself. And and as we know, that matters a ton to Ian Clark, and I think it matters a ton for goaltenders, period. And just the one from IMAX piece, which is great, up at sportsnet.ca, and the quote that I, I thought was really fascinating, Demko says, I definitely think I'm better off for this season, having learned a lot, a ton to be honest. I feel like a whole new person going through these last five months. When you consider how difficult and disappointing the start of the season was for him and then the lengthy injury, for him to be coming out of it saying, I think I'm better off for having gone through this, I think that says a lot about what you're talking about, that kind of reset of the mental process. And look, it was always a different conversation. You know, you compared it to the Elias Pettersson struggling last year and Thatcher Demko struggling this year. It's always different with goalies because there is that inherent volatility and it's just harder for non-goalie people to assess what a goalie is doing and, you know, what's actually leading to them struggling. So it was never the same. I was always like rock solid. Elias Pettersson is going to be just fine. I think there's always a little bit more uncertainty when you're talking about a goalie, oh, yeah. even an elite one with like Thatcher Demko. Well, there, there's still uncertainty going into next season because oh, it's course. really hard to repeat as an elite goalie, like, you know. But I think there's just a, a little bit of a, an exhale. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is still Thatcher Dingle. We're still talking about Thatcher Dingle, but Demko. Doesn't mean every year is going to be Vesna quality, but this is still that guy that the Canucks can rely on in the crease, you got to think. Yeah. You have one? Yeah. I am – I really like – I'm just going to say my, my spy fiction. I really like spy fiction, and I think it's a good thing. That we have it, and I highly recommend. But your, I did notice you dropped a uh, a George Smiley reference on the show. Yeah, the other day, you big, of course, you big, uh, absolutely. All right, Lacre, Lacre is Lacre. great. The McHaren series, the Slow Horses series, which is on the Apple Plus, is a uh, Gary Oldman show right now. You should watch it; it's really good. I will. I uh, I actually, but but across the board, just spy fiction. I really like spy fiction. And and it makes me happy. This is so nerdy. I wanted to I, share that with. Everybody. I actually checked out. I did not know this about you, but just recently from the library, I checked out an anthology of uh, of spy fiction. Nice. So there you go. Well, we can talk about it. Oh, I didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not no- my normal genre. But oh, I just okay. picked it up. I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot. Yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a, I'm a recent convert too. Like last six months, but last six months I've been reading a lot of spy fiction and I've really enjoyed it. There you go. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, this one, uh, Alistair and Vic. Ten minutes of positivity. I won the cup with the Canucks and franchise mode in NHL. It only took three years of being really bad to do it. Take notes, Patrick. This is how it's done. That's from <laughs> Alistair in Victoria, relating the lessons of NHL franchise mode. That's fantastic. That's what 10 oh, Minutes of Positivity man, is Man, I love that. Uh, and uh, this one, uh, I want to I want to uh, talk about the development system of the Canucks a little bit in the next segment, but this one comes in. Ten minutes of positivity. I think the Canucks have done a great job this season on improving their development system. And I want to build on that conversation. Hear from Ryan Johnson, who was on the morning show with Halford and Bruff, some of what he had to say uh, and talk a little bit about the implications of having a strong AHL team and potentially a strong development system for this Canucks organization. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back. It's Canucks Talk, final segment of the show here. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintec studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. 
Uh, Ryan Johnson, Canucks, uh, Abbotsford Canucks general manager, also an assistant general manager, or is it assistant to the general manager now for the Vancouver Canucks? I'd have to check exactly. I know he got a title change at some point there, but he is the general manager of the Abbotsford Canucks. He was on uh, the morning show with Halford and Bruff this morning, and you know one of the carry one of the holdovers from the previous management regime in charge of the AHL team, which is of course now located locally here uh, in the greater Vancouver area. And this tech, you know, I mentioned on the other side and another text uh, comes in as well. Uh, positive thought. Abbotsford is a complete success this year. Call-ups are easy, which helps ma- ma- with maximizing uh, cap space. Uh, Oman and pods have looked great after getting huge reps down there. Well, Landon looks like an NHL defender. Finally, really development real development from our AHL team. And I think that Ryan Johnson deserves a ton of credit for how he has handled everything in Abbotsford since the team has uh, has arrived in the Fraser Valley. And I wanted to take a little bit of time here talking about just the kind of the implications of potentially, because again, this is a new experiment, right? And we'll see ultimately how it impacts the NHL team, but of potentially developing a real kind of first-class AHL team. And first I wanted to play this clip uh, from Ryan Johnson with Halford and Bruff talking about the approach they take to developing players in Abbotsford for the NHL team. Well, it's something that we you address as, you know, I, I've got an excellent uh, skating coach, Mackenzie Braid, that I've had for a few years now that does an excellent job with these guys. And there's only so much that you can do um, physically in season to improve that. That's, that's, um, usually something that is an off season where we're, we're working with lower body strength, uh, working on technique and stuff that you need reps and reps and reps that are hard to get in season. But I think, you know, one thing that people overlook a little bit from a skating standpoint is, is a lot of it is mentally uh, uh, pushing yourself as well. And that's something that's talked about in practice from our coaching staff, our development staff, and some, uh, you know, I've seen it with a lot of other players that they have the ability to do it mentally. They haven't forced themselves to do it in certain situations or at the pro game yet. And that's something that is that is talked about daily. So it's not just a physical thing. With some of our guys, it is in uh, like Ratu or Archdeep Pains or uh, guys like that. It's gonna they're gonna have a huge off season of what something we will put in place of making sure their lower body, their core. Um, is as strong as it possibly can, which will add to the power and explosiveness and uh, explosiveness and add to the uh, to their pace. But it's something is mentally in the season we're talking about as well, and, and them forcing themselves to ha- have to skate in situations or areas that whether it be in junior or college or overseas that they haven't had to force themselves to do it. And that's a, that's a huge part of it. So that's Canucks, uh, Abbotsford Canucks general manager, Ryan Johnson, specifically there talking about the process of improving a player's skating. And, you know, he name-checked uh, Atu Ratu, Arshdeep Baines there. Of course, that also applies to Aiden McDonough, uh, Linus Carlson. Generally, players need to improve their skating, but obviously there's some big obvious get, examples with Abbotsford as well. Needs to get stronger, needs to work on yeah. their skating. <laughs> Most young players. Everyone, Most young players. Everyone sub-NHL level. Yeah. Um, but it stood out to me, well, again, and this is something we we talked about briefly when we heard from Rick Tockett, right? The emphasis on that work in the summer. And mm. I was thinking about, you know, we talk so much about the identity of how a team plays on the ice, but organizations as a whole have an identity as well, right? And, like, what's the Canucks identity been recently? It's been... Like I don't mean in the last couple of years. I mean going back ten years, basically at this point, it's been the team that is 
constantly trying to jumpstart the process, chasing free agents, making trades for older players to try to get back in to the playoff race. But I think when you look at the fact that Abbotsford right now under Ryan Johnson looks like looks like a success and it still has to be built into a sustainable success that kind of year after year is producing players for you. But when you look at that fact, coupled with the fact, and this is something that Ryan Johnson talked about on the air today, you know, that was a huge calling card of the Pittsburgh Penguins organization when Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvine were there. Mm-hmm. Like to me, that's an opportunity to build a new identity for the Canucks as a franchise off the ice, right? To be the team that is all about that development process and finding players like Arshdeep Baines, like uh, Niels Oman, and develop working with them, creating that culture, creating that system, that player development process where they turn into something more. I would like to see the team lean into that. I would really like to see the team lean into that. But I think a key part of that process is you have to have patience. It's not an overnight thing, right? And patience has been a word that has so frequently been lacking from how the Canucks have gone about their business. And I think that's a a really fascinating tension for me is on the one hand, when you look at what Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin built in Pittsburgh, what Ryan Johnson and they are building in Abbotsford, when you hear Patrick Alvin talk about the development process, that's clearly a point of emphasis for them is the ability to develop players, the ability to use your AHL team to churn these guys out. But it also requires that alignment top to bottom from ownership on down. And I think it requires that element of patience. It's not going to turn overnight into a place where you're getting, you know, top six and top four players. But if you follow that process through, I think it could really pay dividends. And I would like to see them very much lean into that. Lean into that. Okay, yeah, maybe maybe it takes a little bit of patience. But if the plan isn't to do a rebuild, if the plan is to keep building... Do it methodically. Lean on your strengths. Lean on player development. Lean on identifying cheap talent. Lean on your AHL team. Make that your identity rather than, hey, we're going to go out and try to solve our top four problem on free agency right now. But if you're raison d'etre, right, if your ability to win is contingent on being the most efficient of 32 NHL teams from a player development standpoint, right? And the Canucks have invested a lot in this, right? You've got... Mikhail Samuelson, mm-hmm. you've got, you know, uh, obviously Chris Higgins, Ryan Johnson and the work he's done in Abbotsford. He, he name-checked Mackenzie Braid. Uh, you've got um, um, Yogi is the, is the skills coach down there. I've heard really good reviews from agents around the industry, like non-affiliated people, people who would give it to me straight and, and often do about other aspects <laughs> of the organization. But I have heard rave reviews about those two and the twins and the time they're putting down um, in Abbotsford with Vancouver's American League players. There've been some smart investments in this space and there've been some good early returns, but that's all they are right now, right? They're early yeah, returns. They're, and I want to be very clear. Yeah, I know. That. This I know, is not I know. like a, you know, all of a sudden they've hit a home run here, but no. it's, it's the process beginning is what it, as you want it to. But how do you square the logic of brandishing a competitive advantage in this space with trading a first and a second round pick for Philip Ronick. Yep. It's a totally fair objection. Like, like, if you're going to be the master sculptor, why would you not want to work with the highest quality materials possible? Like, that to me doesn't make sense. And and that to me gets into the point, too, that we got into with, you know, uh, bending the mega drafter storyline from a decade ago. Uh, an argument which has not aged well. 
where it was like, well, we're so good at drafting that we can keep trading picks. And it's like, no, if you're so good at drafting, amass as many as you can. Right? Like, that's, to, to me, it's, it's I believe it because they've done it. Right? I believe it because they've done it. The Penguins, Mark Donk thing was real, mm-hmm. was true. The investments to this point, Sergey Gonchar would be the other guy that brought in. Like, they brought in a, a lot of hockey knowledge into the organization to work on the the problem of maximizing players. We'll see. It's going to take years to bear fruit. Years. And I think you have to be patient with that approach. I also, this is like one area where I absolutely give them the benefit of the doubt. Do I think it can help offset like the way that this team has managed the cap to this point? No, but at least it's at least it's a strategy. It's not at least it's coherent. It's not sufficient. No, it's to not do sufficient. things, but it can be a building block. It, it can, can be an organizational strength that really matters. Yeah, a staple is a good I, way of putting I, it. I'm I'm with you. And I, and again, this is one area where I think you're right to sort of point out and be like, "Hey, that's interesting potentially." I think it is. I just think if you're going to lean on that, if that's going to be your calling card, if that's your strength, then feed the beast. And that's what I want. I like, that's what I'm saying. Lean into it. Yeah. Right. And now, but the issue might be that requires a little bit of patience. That is just kind of constitutionally not in this team's makeup. And I don't yeah. pin that on Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford as much as we can look at, you know, the Philip Ronick trade and say, well, that's them being impatient. I, the, if you're going to have the type of patience that I'm talking about to really, okay, develop your AHL team and your just your player development system into a powerhouse that's constantly giving you value, like I think that you have to have buy-in from ownership on that. You have to have well, buy-in top down from the in, across the organization. You have to have job security where it's like you have five years on your deal, not three, right? Because all of a sudden next season looms large. I think that's a big part of the conversation. Yeah. Right? Of like, course it is. Can you can Patrick Alvin afford to be patient? And because we've heard him talk, and it's it's not, you know, Patrick Alvin has very quickly developed the reputation for not saying a lot, right? Being holding his cards very close to his vest when he talks Leaning to the media. on semantics. But when you hear him talk about player development and the importance of that, totally. it's a completely different tone. It, you can, like it, that's not a smokescreen. That's passionate not about BS. It. That yep. is something he really genuinely believes in. And those are his strongly. strongest moments by far. Like when he starts talking about like the, the quote from the Bruce Boudreaux press conference, right? Which I was mostly critical of throughout, right? Partly because of it started with the, we made the decision today to move on from Bruce Boudreaux. It's like, come on, guys. Come on. We can't buy that. But toward the end, he started talking about creating a safe space for players and like the idea of like habits adding up over time to be a competitive advantage. And it's like, not only do I buy that, not only do I think that's smart, but I can tell that you he's all in on it. Believe in yeah. it truly. And and yeah, that was those are the moments where I, I actually think he can register and resonate. And so the question becomes then, because I don't think there's any doubt how much he believes in it and how much he wants to prioritize it. And you can see a lot of that being put into, into action. The question becomes then, does he have the runway to really do that, to really do that kind of long-term approach to building your development system and building your organization from the grassroots up? And Because, you know, one of the other words, when, when we were having the big retool versus rebuild debate in this market and you know and the, we stopped and well a little bit because it's kind of been settled what they're doing the the, the correctness of it hasn't been settled but the direction has yeah, the direction has yeah. and you know patrick alvin and jim rutherford we get asked about that question like a rebuild or whatever and at some point patrick alvin said you know the plan is just to keep building all right 
then to me, if you're saying we're, we're just going to keep building, that suggests a certain methodical approach, right? Like saying we're just going to keep building, that seems completely in line with we're going to be really patient with our AHL well, system. Well, we're going to be patient because we're just going to be building methodically. Re- but you got to do that. You got to build it into process. Rebuilding was always probably the wrong word because it's not like there was an edifice. <laughs> right? Like it's not like th- there's there was something built up before. Um you're right. And on the player development side again, I think they made smart investments. I I th- I like some of the pro scouting process we've already seen bear fruit. I'd be curious to see what they could do with cap space if they were ever disciplined enough to figure it out. You know, and and that's like the problem that I can't get around, right? The problem that I can't get around, like why at the very top of the Pacific Division are there two expansion teams? And people can talk about how generous an expansion process that was... The design of the expansion process allowed you, allowed teams, allowed the expansion teams to get one of from every team there's their backup goaltender a second pair defenseman or a third pair defenseman if they were going to expose a second line forward mm-hmm. or a third line forward like it's they were they were much better expansion rules than the old days where like Emil Francis was bragging to the if you go read the New York Times article from the Canucks expansion draft right Emil Francis is like bragging to the to uh, the New York Times about how he lost no players of significance even though he lost Orlin Kurtenbach. Um the protection list was twenty five names long it was longer than a contemporary NH of course you didn't how did you even lose Orlin Kurtenbach man. But like that's that's neither here nor there. That's not the reason. The reason is is that in a hard cap league, being able to come in with literally a fresh slate, a limitless supply of cap space, is the most valuable commodity. Like you may not come in with players or assets or extra draft picks. You come in with a limitless ability to spend, and that's everything. Like that's everything in this league. And I sort of look back at this year. And see the Miller deal and see the Jason Dickinson trade, Mm -hmm. right? Like the price that they paid to get off of the two years of Jason Dickinson bears no relationship with the price for cap space and salary that we saw at the deadline, right? Like they, they paid more to get off of less than Ottawa did on Zaitsev, basically. I mean, they played, paid a second and a six, but that's way more money, way more, way more salary. So like the Canucks were out of line, out of step with the market prices on cap space. The Beauvillier, taking Beauvillier back from Horvat. Like, what did we always talk about last year, right? Part of the return that you're getting in these trades is the fresh cap space to replace a guy, right? They end up trading Bo Horvat, and the cap benefit of losing your captain is like $1 million? Like, that's that's a problem. It's a real problem, right? To, to come through a deadline in which you're 27th for most of the month leading up to it. Now they're what, 25th, something like mm-hmm, that. Mm-hmm. But bottom 10 with a bullet to come out of that with the most cap space committed. Like you can't get around that. You know, you can't get around that. And that's another thing that hurts your ability to go out and find another Kuzmenko, right? To go out and find or play in like a higher bin of player, right? To, to find the $3 million guy who can be, who can take the William Carlson type leap for your organization. Um, if you're messing that up, I don't think you can play, develop around it. 
Like I don't think you can you can be the you can be the Pittsburgh Penguins of development if you don't have your ducks in a row cap wise. I just think you're hooped. I just I don't think there's a way to be efficient enough to win big in this league if you fundamentally don't understand that. And I've seen very little evidence based on based on now a year's worth of work that this organization under new management can manage that risk strategically. And the question really becomes for me, and, and you know, this ties in a little bit to the conversation we were having yesterday where I was saying, look, just run it back at this point. Can the the strengths you're building, and we can tie if you want at this point to tie like Rick Tockett's coaching job and structure into that. Can the strengths you're building just afford you the time to be patient? Can they get right? Can you be competitive, legitimately competitive for a playoff spot because of the coaching change, because of your ability to identify cheap talent, because of your development system? Can you be competitive enough for a playoff spot that it buys you the breathing room to take a more long-term approach in other respects? And I think a huge part of that question, a huge part of that question is what, like, what are the actual internal expectations? And Brandon in Vancouver earlier texted in, what are the consequences if the team falls flat on their face again to start next year? I think that's a really, really fair question, right? Like, I don't think it's going to be Tockett who's taking the blame for it, but if the team does underperform next year, as you said, like, the, Patrick Alvine's not on a long-term deal at this point. W w w right, right? Like, does he have the ability? Does he have the breathing room? to take his foot off the gas a little bit and let the development process play out. Well, here's my other question for you. Here's my other question for you. What has more impact on how you will view Vancouver's playoff chances in September of next year? So before games are played, okay? The Canucks having a great offseason, however you define it. Like, keep it, keep it vague. But uh, assume they've, you know, landed another top four defenseman and found, like, a third-line center. You're like, wow. Sure. Okay. The LA Kings going out and adding another really good top six forward. Or the Seattle Kraken adding a goalie of some of some kind. Like a a, a goalie. A good upgrade. goalie. A good a good goalie. A goalie you feel good about. Which three of those things will have a bigger impact on Vancouver's own playoff chances? I don't know. The Kraken adding a goalie? Yeah, I mean I think I I think it's Either that or it's L.A. Like, the, my point being, are their playoff chances even firm enough that their destiny's in their own hands? Or are the moves that other Pacific Division teams could well, make going to shape yeah. their playoff chances more, more significantly? The, they're, they're not a team where you look at – there are no moves they're going to make this summer are going to make you think, oh, they're a lock for the playoffs. Like, it's going to be a battle. And, and to your point, that's when – what the other teams do and how the landscape looks comes into play and starts to really, really matter. Does team X upgrade this obvious area of weakness? So like, yeah, I take your point that it's still heavily dependent, but again, in within that frame, like if you can't spend your way this off season to being a playoff lock, again, that to me, that just dictates patience that dictates, okay, try to do it on the cheap. Then don't sacrifice your future how, flexibility. How can you be patient now? Like that's what I don't understand. I, I've I've agreed with your takes on like the lean into the process yep. you've seen under like, but it to me it feels like where I'm still yelling at clouds and shaking my fist, you know, dang Shelby Villains, right? And being like, This is wild. 
you're like, well, they've already been impatient. But if they're patient now, yeah, at least no more damage will be done. Well, I'm not even saying no more damage will be done, but like, is there any chance? That's basically what I'm saying, because I agree with you. No. We, we can all look at the organization and I don't know think that they're so. not they're not typically willing I just to be patient. They're not wired this way. It's just frustrating shown to it. me because it's not as if there's no good things happening. You know, this is not no, like a, it's like, not. You know what You're I mean? Right. Up and down the organization. Like, we're talking about Elias Patterson. Could it be a top five center? We're talking about, hey, the AHL team. Like, Ryan Johnson, really sharp executive to have leading your AHL team. Really thoughtful guy. Doing he a is. really good job of it. And he is. He's impressive. And I just... I, 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 I thought his, I thought his Halford and Bruff hit was really impressive. It was great. I, I encourage everyone to go listen to the full interview. He's always great. I always really enjoy listening yeah. to him. Feel like I learned something from him. But it's like, there are these real tangible strengths on the ice off the ice and it's very frustrating and this is not a you know i'm not trying to re reignite the they should rebuild or anything but just like okay from where they've chosen to go right now you have these strengths you have these positives but it feels like there's an unwillingness to kind of follow them to their logical conclusion and lean into them and that's very frustrating this is not a totally hopeless bereft of talent bereft of upside bereft of good stories organization there are good things you just got to take advantage of them. You got to take advantage of them. And I think patience is the keyword that comes to mind. It's all over and over again for me. Yeah. Well, my, my view of it just is that if you don't have, if you don't have the fundamental plan of what you want to do, right? If you don't have something really solid to fall back on, to, to, to effectively guide your decision-making process when moments come up that challenge it, right? Because you do have to be flexible enough to react in real time. 100%. But if yeah. you if you have a fundamental understanding of where you're going, that sort of sp core of steel, then I think it's, you know, there's a rubric to, to work through those issues. And I, I just don't see it. Like, I, it just feels to me like this organization is still as reactive as it has been getting us to this point. That, to me, is the big concern. That's why I look at this summer as one where, I'm going to be bracing for more moves that make it harder to improve meaningfully in the future. Yeah, uh, we'll, we will see. I certainly would not be shocked by that, but uh, it's frustrating when I see that there is potentially a better way forward. Uh, that's going to do it for us. Enjoy the game against Dallas tonight. The People's Show is coming up next. You've got it on the home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650.